Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to uh, the Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Building, and we're in the Gamekeeper Studio. Studio. The luxurious studio, studio here. It is quite luxurious. It's comfortable. Yeah. yeah. You know. And uh, Dudley's over here to my left. He's clean shaven. Clean he is shaven. looking good over there. I actually had a mustache all night last night. <laughs> like I, a handlebar? I, I almost wore it to work. What happened? Well, I, I remember that time Jordan Lasuzo decided to bravely wear a mustache yeah. to work, and he showed up and like all of corporate was here <laughs> <laughs> and they made fun of him i all. need to apologize to jordan since you brought his name up you know this week uh we had a, a wonderful trip out to new mexico and it was uh we usually we drive right through the hometown of our of our buddy jordan lasuzo called him on the way through town told him we we're gonna stop by on the way in and you know, when you're traveling real fast and trying to get home. Sometimes you just need to keep going. We just kept going. And I'm going to blame it on Jess. Well, you know? yeah. Blame it of course. on Jess. <laughs> so then so we've we, got. We're sorry, Jordan. Catch you on the flip side, buddy. Yeah, well, there's nothing. Uh, there's no fast meetings with Jordan. No, fast talking, fast moving. But he's going to distract you for a long biggity, time. Biggity, you know, and I'm I'm really hard to distract if y'all had. Oh, noticed, my God. Yeah. You know. Maybe the most easily distracted person uh, this side of the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. This is true. So, okay, so we have Jason Cleveland over there manning our Army War sur- surplus uh, uh, radio equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, and then Lanny Wallace, who just returned from a, a, an elk trip. Wonderful trip. New Mexico. New Mexico. And my understanding is you ran out of bullets and had to come home. And it got tough out there. Let me tell you, maybe we can hit on that later, but do y'all know how incredibly tough elk are? <laughs> how many shots did it take? All of them that I had. So that was seven. <laughs> That's crazy. It is It is crazy. They are uh, amazing animals. You know, I learned a lot about there, too. I never thought they were actually, you know, originally prairie animals. And the way those dudes have adapted, because uh, Jess actually, you know, uh, took his in – Almost alpine. I think he was at probably 8,000 feet. Uh, and I got fortunate enough to actually harvest mine in the desert. Below sea level. Below <laughs> sea level, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if you think about, you know, the adaptability of that dude and then how big they are and the amount, uh, just the pure amount of, 
you know, sustenance they would they would need, and mm-hmm. them for them to be able to survive in all those different environments. It's an amazing animal. Mm-hmm. Well, and Jess, so Jess killed a great big one as well. Yeah, he killed a great bull. He really mm-hmm. did. I got to tell you, those uh, we were out there with uh, Graham's Guide Service, and I was actually hunting with uh, JJ Rue, and Jess was hunting with Clifford, and the guy that runs the whole show is named Joseph Graham, and it is the real deal. Is the only thing I can say. You know, I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of places, but these guys are 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 true true hunters uh and these are all public land bulls that we're chasing so uh if you get a chance just i encourage everybody to get out there and put in for a tag in new mexico if you get lucky enough to get drawn like jess and i did it is completely worth the time and effort it's a great experience for sure so you're saying it's a great big animal Man, that thing's huge. But so you couldn't hit him, or what well, was the you, problem? Yeah, you know, it was. I, I hit him. You know, uh, it was. It was a long shot. We were muzzleloader hunting, um, so. Uh, but we had practiced it at actually 300 yards with muzzleloader. So mm-hmm. that's a long uh, shot. It's a long shot with a muzzleloader. It is. Uh, but I uh, was confident. You know, the bull I shot was actually at 310 yards. Um, and you know, hit him in the, in the, in the vitals when I went on the first shot, but they just don't go down easily. Uh, and I can't say all my other shots were as good as my first shot, but I will say he had, uh, he, he had, uh, well, let me ask you this. What is the. How long does it take you to load that muzzle? It's not, you know, I'm pretty quick. I mean, does it take a minute? No, I don't think so. Not me, you know, but we had speed loaders. Uh, and it's really important if you ever get in those kind of situations, you need to bring bring to bring uh, need to remember to bring the caps with you. And that's a big deal. Mm. So, yeah. how many loads or caps were you when you shot seven times? I can't imagine you had I don't many think more I, than that. I don't think I've ever carried more than three or four. Thank you, Dudley. I had three. Uh, <laughs> I had seven total. That's because that's how many times I shot. Uh, but I had I had one in the chamber and I had two speed loads. You know, I'm fairly confident in my shooting ability. Um, although it kind of you know let me down. I, you know, it it. Uh, but it all worked out in the end. There's meat in the freezer. There is meat in the freezer. Um, Did so, Michael Wayne get all this? Oh, he got it all. Yeah, y'all will be highly entertained. Well, that's yeah. good. Now you know. I hope they. I hope they share all the footage. Yeah. Well, it it, it is most of it is over the shoulder, so um, you know, I guess live action footage, no recreate. So, be interesting to see how it all comes together. But well, great time, great trip. Jess made a good shot at I think a little over 200 yards. Um, did he? Have, did it, how many did he? Have he, he just had to shoot one. Is that right? I think so, I spent so they too much. be killed <laughs> yeah, with one shot. I, I think <laughs> I spent too much time training Jess and not enough time working on my own stuff. Okay, fine. Well, speaking of shooting seven times, this uh, next this week that the podcast is airing, uh, the the email blast is actually going to have an article on tips for sighting in your rifle. You might want to. I should time probably that. read that again. That'd yeah, be good. That'd be really good. It would be. Bobby, you're mean. Oh, yeah. Hey, he's uh, right. Practice makes perfect. And the funny thing is, seriously, I was, I mean, I I, I guess, you know, it was Jess's first time out there, for, I think first time to shoot a muzzleloader. So we spent a lot of time and I was encouraging him. And in hindsight, I was like, damn, I need to be working on my own self. <laughs> they, they're so advanced these days, it you know, um, uh, 300 yards is an entirely doable it is, you know, it, it really is. And it definitely wasn't that way. I'm sure you grew up like I did, the old hawking, you know, octagon barrel with the on the side. And oh, when, yeah. when you shot, you pulled the trigger and you better hold it on wherever you had for a second. Cause when you pulled the trigger, it didn't go off. You had to wait about a half a second. And then, <laughs> and then there was so much smoke in front of you. 
you had to wave it all out of the way. Oh, yeah. And hopefully you'd see a white belly laying out there. That's a primitive <laughs> weapon right there. It really is. And the, what, what they have now is not primitive. No. And now we're shooting, I think, some kind of super advanced 209 black horn powder and these Sabo 245 grain bullets. And uh, and the primers are actually looks like a, um, a pistol cartridge. You know, instead of the old caps you had to squeeze and put on your nipple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that, well, I think we should do a whole show on y'all's trip. We'll get Jess in here. Yeah. Speaking about y'all easily distracted, talking about putting things, uh, you know, wherever y'all need to put them to make it go off. Squeezing the cap, put on the nipple. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Talk right. about distracted yeah, easily. Y'all, 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 I mean, come on. <laughs> y'all lost me here. Okay. All right. So. All right. What about, so th- this week, you probably haven't noticed you've been gone, but D- Dudley, there's been a couple of big deer that I've noticed uh, social media feeds. Uh, Matt Jury killed a giant deer. Yeah. 146. That's a great deer. That is a great deer. Now, we must point out that Taylor killed one a few weeks back that was a little larger than Matt's. Are we keeping score? I don't think we are, but I bet Matt is. I bet he I bet is. Too. So did he have, but did he do, was he in the biologic he, what, Matt, food Matt, plot deer? Yeah, Matt told me that the food plots played a big part of pattern in this deer and getting him killed. He, he named him Holyfield. He said the deer had a big chunk out of one of his ears. Oh, that's <laughs> a good name. Well, but, so uh, did he, was he final forage, clover? What final was, forage and radishes. Final forage and nice. radishes. He liked them, huh? You know, those radishes, it just seems like everybody has success. They are so hard to beat. Mm-hmm. My my buddies that I hunt with uh, on my family land didn't know what they were, you know, and I, I planted them one year and didn't say anything. This was three years ago, three seasons ago. And uh, I get a text. We have a group text going. Yeah. And they said, what's the deal with the white carrots you plant? Ah, White carrots. So we always call them white carrots now. It's kind of our little inside joke. So have you, we rode through Ebenezer on the way home. Then. Oh, good. Thought about you. Honked yeah. the horn. We went by there. Yeah, Ebenezer. So you got plots in down there, ready got, to go. I got all my brassicas in, and uh, this weekend I'm hoping to do all my blends. Good deal. Well, good. I'm not the only one that hadn't planted. I've been thinking about elk for some reason. David Andrews, I think he's picking up some seed this afternoon. David is. Mm-hmm. Good job. Big Dave. Big Dave. Shout out to Big Dave. Yeah, yeah. So this week on uh, on the Outdoor Channel, the Gamekeepers Television Show, is the show that we call The Culture, which is one of my favorite Gamekeeper shows. So yeah. hopefully people can watch that. You know, we were going. To, we were trying to pick that elk up by the neck and take, you, take a picture of it and send it to you. I wish y'all had. <laughs> I wish y'all had because that was uh, – that would have been funny. I would have enjoyed. That. I don't know. I love that that particular show because it does give you a really look into the culture here. And of course, you know, Jess and I happen to. Uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, we did. And, and, as you did this week. Yeah, as it's guys. You no, know, left us here working. Dudley and I and the rest of the crew. Yeah, I think you were turkey hunting. You know, the the week <laughs> that we actually killed that turkey. But I hear you. I hear you. we did leave you here this week. Yeah, well, that's okay. So uh, so this week's show is sponsored by Levy Outdoors. You know, you see those good-looking slings over there. I used one all week. And let me tell you, those muzzleloaders are heavy. And it was nice and wide and padded. Uh, and I used it a lot, and it was, it was, it was a great sling. Um, well, good. Well, they're, they're brand new. They're a GameKeeper mm-hmm. licensee, and guys can go to levy, L-E-V-Y, outdoors.com and check them out. They're really nice. 
they, those they made their these guys started making guitars. Yeah, and guitar I'm, straps. I'm told that they make the best in the guitar in the, industry. In the, so. <laughs> I would have to ask Dudley. He's he's more than musician. They're good. There you go. Yeah, Jason's a musician too. Jason is a musician. So look, let me explain what this show is going to be about. So and make sure I make it very clear. So everybody listening, we got some understand. controversial topics. Today. It's a, li- a little bit. So we've got a guy that is a convicted poacher. Mm. He's from Texas, and um, and he poached for many years out there on the King Ranch and the Kennedy Ranch and many other parts of Texas and New Mexico. And Well, he picked a fine spot to poach. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, that's – but let me just be sure, make sure I'm clear. We are not having this guy on to glorify or bring attention – to any of his activities and in in, in in any way make make act like this is something good. No. What I'm hoping to do is that we can interview him, talk to him, and learn how we and people listening to this podcast and people that we care about, gamekeepers, can help to poacher proof their properties. So poacher proof like, property. Yeah. I like it. You know, I'd I'd like to just try to get into his mind and see what made him choose this or that. Of course, you know, the King Ranch, why wouldn't you choose? I mean, if you're down in that part hey, of the world, that's yeah. this that's the Holy Grail. But but just you know, I want to ask him questions. I want y'all to ask questions so that we can maybe learn how to better protect ourselves from poachers. Hey man, that's a great Great yeah. subject. I know Dudley's had problems before. You know, we've all had problems. You know, it's, it's really tough when you work, work so hard on your place. And then, you know, where there's turkey hunting or deer hunting, and the first thing you get there is see evidence of somebody else being there before you did. Mm-hmm. It's quite disheartening. Well, Very. I, I think from what I've gathered, this guy was as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, he did. Doesn't he have a book or something? Guy, that's how I found out about him. Uh. He, he wrote, a, wrote a book about his adventures. So, or misadventure. Misadventure. Right? <laughs> yeah, we we all believe in forgiveness here. Absolutely. We, we we we've all done things we wish we hadn't done. No yeah. doubt about but, it. Uh, cast not the first. You know what does that Bible say about casting? Somebody glass house. Well, no, somebody <laughs> cast the first stone if you don't. But but I I just uh, you know we just I just want everybody to know we're 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 not trying to act like this is. Glorify or advocate anything yeah, here. Exactly. No. Right. I think I think you're, that's great you said that because it is important to learn. You know, and I guess he's reformed? I think so. I think, I mean, I, I, I don't know what time he served. I don't think he actually had to serve any time, but they ended up catching him, and I think he had a bunch of fines to pay, and I think he may have had to to uh, do some community things. So. Service. But we can stuff. ask him about yeah. that. Cool. So It's not every day that you – I mean, actually, get to, we all think we know people who are poachers. But right. you oh, we definitely know people that are poachers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not every day you get to actually talk to one. So Great. Anyway, uh, why don't we take a break, and Producer Cleveland, if we'll see if we can, uh, we can get Charles on the telephone. The Gamekeeper Magazine is our life outdoors on paper. We love Gamekeeper's Magazine. It's full of great information. Full of ideas on how to make the habitat better. From plots to trees to whitetails and waterfowl. It's total farm management. There's so much information in Gamekeeper's. Especially when it comes to managing your property. You can't go wrong if you want to improve your habitat 
the wildlife. Pick up our Game Keepers magazine. Game Keepers, the journal of wildlife stewardship. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have tried to get Charles on the phone, and we have failed. Apparently, the wind's blowing out there. Yeah, so uh, he's going to call us when he's got a better signal. So why don't we keep the show moving on? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Talk about some things. Real-world problems. Yeah, until he calls back in. So, Have you, uh, speaking of poaching, I know you might have had some, I don't know, you know, Bobby, I think you're a pretty upstanding guy. Maybe some things you might have done in the past. I mean, is <laughs> I, I don't know, you know. Might as well throw it out there. I mean, the, the I mean, prince is, you know, he's telling everything he did. Now that everybody's listening. Yeah. Well, you know, as a very young person, I may have made some bad decisions at, at a time or two that I regret um, in, in some scenarios. But I, I learned and uh, – you know, I have the utmost respect for wildlife and our laws and 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 all that now, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very important. So, so you knew you, you skirted around the question there. You know, <laughs> have you ever broken a game law? You know, there was a time in my life that I misunderstood. Hey, that's a great the, way to look the at it. Thirty minutes before. It is quite confusing. The, before the thirty minutes before sunrise and the thirty minutes, I is thought it was after sunset, yeah. not before sunrise. So I have, I'm, I'm going to admit to this. I have shot some wood ducks, but I, after hours, this was many, many years ago. But I honestly thought that that was the rule was thirty minutes after sunset. Well, I, I've done that too, honestly. You know, I think I was introduced to duck hunting. You know, we went down in the river bottom in the afternoons and waited for the wood ducks to pile in there. Um, so, and, you know, it, uh, I'm just thankful. I never, you know, I never got in any kind of trouble cause it would have been very embarrassing and it would have been hard to explain cause it was just me being dumb. Is that a phone call coming in? It's a phone call coming All right, in. Let's see if we can hook up with him. Maybe it is Charles. All right. It did it again. Boy, they, they it's going to be 20 minutes before I call you back. That's what he said. That'll work. We got enough we can talk about for 20 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's me. I do remember that. And, uh, once I finally learned what one that was explained to me by somebody, uh, I was like in shock. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've, I've certainly repented for all that. Well, you've made I felt up. bad about it. But what about you, Dad? I have a come clean story, hmm. but it was purely accident. And yes, the first time I ever went duck hunting was with my grandfather. On a wood duck roost? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think I was seven years old and I killed a wood duck with my 410 that was like four feet from the boat. Mm-hmm. And it was actually banded. Oh, wow. Goodness gracious. Yeah. But uh, when I was also, when I was a young, new turkey hunter, I shot at a gobbler that was 10 yards directly in front of me, and a hen flopped that was more than a 90-degree angle to my right mm. and had one pellet in its head. Hey, that's why I believe the conservation officers have the um, latitude that they have because, you know, they're on the scene to interpret whether you were, you know, I guess what your intentions are worse, more than anything, you know. Um, I know everybody's running those situations. I'm, I'm like it, both of y'all. 
you know, I was introduced to duck hunting and a wood duck roost, you know, way back when. So, um, anyways, just important to know where that. You know, when you're, you're to do. you know, we talk about the stages of a gamekeeper where you yeah. just want to get, get one, one, and then you want to get a get bunch, a limit, you know, and I mean, then we, get a big one. We've all probably been in that scenario when we were younger, where. You know, you just, you want to get a bunch of them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a, that, uh, boy, I'm, I'm glad I kind of got through that phase. Pretty quick. It, well, I'm, I'm through it now. Oh, good, it, good. It may, yeah. may have been a long phase for me, but, you know, that one can get you in trouble if you don't, if you're not careful. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, everybody makes mistakes. So what else, Dudley? What else have you done wrong? <laughs> I've never done anything else wrong in my whole life. <laughs> Those are the only two bad things I've ever done. Ever. Well, you, you know, I, I'm going to blame some of most of uh, my mistakes to ignorance. You know, I guess is the best way to put it. Once you once you know and you, you learn better, you know. And it's all about your intentions, you know, too. I don't think even when you're in that get one phase, you know, you're not – I think you're so hyper focused on getting one that, you know. I I tell you what I I've, I've been seeing on social media lately, and it's a little disturbing. And and some of my friends are seeing it too, and we've discussed it. Um, people are getting on these Facebook groups, and they're partially joking, but they're also acting like they're going to go on somebody else's land and kill a turkey and it's their right to do it. And, hmm. you know, um, they, it's almost like they joke about it, but they're not, it's, they're, they're trolling. But, mm-hmm. but what it does is it is, it encourages other people, especially younger people uh, to join in on the fun. And I think it's, not as much of a joke a lot of times anymore. No, you're right. And and, uh, yeah. and so I'm just going to say that I'm not a fan of that. I don't approve of no it doubt. at all. No doubt. Um, well, wildlife is, you know, even I think I get this right, talking about in the gamekeeper times, you know, even in Europe, they had the commons, which was public land. And, you know, that's where the – People would go to harvest firewood and hunt and all those other different things. And the bottom line is, in most of the states, you know, the wildlife is property of the state. Um, and so, but that doesn't make a difference. You know, private land ownership and private land ownership rights are part of the keystones of America. You know, they really are. So, yeah, I agree that that I don't own that whitetail, but I and. You know, I do own the land, and even owning the land is just the right to use it while you're here, you know. But people have to be respectful of that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that deer isn't mine. He's crossed my land, but it's still my right to be on that place and and my right to utilize that property um, based on the private landowner laws and rights of of the state. So um, I hear you, Dudley, loud and clear, you know, about you don't own those fish, you don't own those wildlife, and they're right, but, you know, you do own the land, uh, and there are rights that that uh, you pay for those rights, right. uh, and you pay for those privileges, and people need to respect that. You know, they really do. Now, public land, you know, just follow the rules, do do your deal, and be respectful of everybody, and um, you know, everything will work out good in the end. But um, it is an issue that you see. I've, come up I've heard people discuss it on other podcasts and shows, um, and it's it's happening. And, oh yeah, 
it needs to be addressed. And we as hunters need to stand up and speak out about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And be respectful of it, 100%. Yeah. So do we want to get started with the Ask Dudley? That's fine. We can wait on Charles to call us back. We cool. we got to have this awesome intro. Yeah, let's cue it up, Jason. Yeah. Here we go. Once in a generation, a mind comes along, a mind that understands more than the average person and is more than willing to share his knowledge. From trees to food plots to fertilizer, Dudley Phelps knows so much that he has forgotten more than he remembers. And now he gives you the chance to ask the burning questions in your mind. It's time for Ask Dudley. Hey guys, this is Jeremy from Central Mississippi. I had a question about food plots. Um, by the way, love the podcast. It's one of my favorite shows. Uh, I've got about an acre. That's what I'm limited to planting this year. And I may have waited too late, but I'm just needing to know if, if I'm going to plant that acre, if I need to plant it mixed with two different foods or, you know, plant all the same thing. I don't have any neighbors that really hunt or manage, manage their deer you know, around, so I don't have any competition. Just needed some feedback on it. Like I said, it may even be too late to plant this year. If y'all could just answer that for me, I'd appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Great question, Jeremy. Um, Super relevant, because I hadn't planted my food plots. Right, <laughs> and I, I haven't yeah. planted most of mine either. So it is not too late, especially in central Mississippi. So you're kind of on that highway I-20 parallel there and uh you're fine i mean in in fact until brassicas came into the game years ago most people waited to plant you know now that brassicas around people are planting a little early to get a lot of growth before it gets cold but the traditional plantings you know cereal grains clovers uh, in the south people waited until october to plant or Um, november or November, yeah, yep. Yeah. You know, farmers usually don't drill wheat until November. November. That's right. So um, my advice is stick with a blend, something like Wintergrass Plus, Green Patch Plus, Outfitters Blend. Deer and Plot. Deer that Plot. That would be a fantastic one. Uh, so cereal grains, clovers, brassicas, uh, in, you know, one of those blends will work well. Um, you might want to scatter a little perennial clover in there like some clover plus with that if you want to that way you know some of those portions of that acre may thicken up with some really nice clover and you can actually disc around that next year so maybe half of your field will be perennial clover the other half can be in something else so no you're not too late just do a soil test get it disced up you know put what you need to and and get it planted so um, the logic behind planting the brassicas earlier, is that to get a more established root system yeah. uh, on the plant? I mean, is it? All the it, above. That, yeah. That plant just, when it's got that 30 or 40 extra days of warm growth, growing mm-hmm. season, that's when you see those plants get really big and those boat paddle leaves on them. Become they, more browse tolerant. They, well, they, they become, they, they produce so much more forage. You know, these brassicas can have can can produce up to 10 tons of forage per acre <laughs> now so you think about that that's those really big leaves that's mm-hmm. when they start producing so much so as they get planted a little bit later and don't go, get that 30 or 40 days of extra growing time they they still look that brassica shape but those leaves just don't get as big 
Uh, and I know I've heard Toxie talk about it. He wants, you know, s- sometimes when those nights are still in the maybe 50s and 60s and the days get up in the 70s and 80s to really get his brassicas established early. And it's all for, about moisture, though, and yeah. September is historically the driest month of the year. Right. Here. So, so that's right, in the south. So and, unless we, and of course this year we've had quite a few Tropical events, yeah. hurricane events. And a few hurricanes but, but this year. It's uh, you know, it's if you can get one of those in late August, early September, that's when you can really make those things. Jump. And uh, you mentioned Toxie. He may, he always makes a good point that it seems like every year, right around Labor Day, you get that one rain event that shows up, and yeah. it might not even rain again until mid to late October. But if that's you what can, you want, if get you on. can be ready and have your spot ready. Get some brassicas in. Uh, mm-hmm. If not, wait a little while and, and plant some blends. Uh, another trick, uh, if you're running late, you can put your brassicas a little bit closer together. Uh-huh. So plant them just – they're not going to get as big. Uh, you would never want to do that early because they can choke each other out. But if you're, plant, if you're running a little late, you can plant it a little thicker knowing that the plants aren't going to get quite as big. Giving give you a little more forage, yep. a little more tonnage. Mm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Good Thanks, question. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate you calling in. You got another one, Jason? Hey, I would like to ask Dudley about some sawtooth oak trees that I have. My name is Art Hammond from Goodwater, Alabama. I've got about six or eight sawtooth oak trees. They're about 15 years old, and they've yet to bear any acorns. Wonder what I might can do to get some acorn growth on those. Thank you. Uh, enjoy your podcast. Keep up the great work. Art. This is awesome. Yeah. Good water. Good water. Where is good water? I think it's in South Alabama. All right. Sorry. That is a good question, Art. And I have heard that question before. Um, so, and I actually have that problem myself. Um, so, Several years ago, Mr. Fox brought it up. He had some sawtooth that were huge and had never made acorns. Um, we think we figured that one out. He planted those in an area that was very alkaline. You know, the pH was really high. And um, we think that's what it was. Um, I hear people up north uh, having problems with sawtooths uh, not making seed, not making acorns. And my theory is that may be a latitude thing, um, but uh, here in the South, that shouldn't be a problem. So uh, my advice first would be just to get a soil test, see if there's something wrong with your soil. Maybe it's really low in something. Uh, another thought would be to uh, think about your history. Are you surrounded by a bunch of pine trees that have been sprayed in the past? Uh, that's my problem at my farm. We had our pines sprayed, you know, they spray a release, maybe arsenal and oust, and uh, it didn't kill the trees. They were right on the edge of the pines, but, you know, some gets in the soil and some some might have gotten on there. Uh, you know, they didn't grow leaves very, you know, the leaves were stunted looking, and ever since then they they all survived but they've never made a crop of acorns, and that was 10 years ago. So that might be something to look into. 
Um, another consideration is, uh, you know, not all oaks can pollinate themselves. I think it's kind of an individual thing. So you may just want to plant a couple more sawtooths around it. Uh, maybe then they'll be able to pollinate the trees. So that's some thoughts. Uh, I know that's not 100% answer. I really didn't completely answer it. But those are some things to look into to try. So Mr. Fox, is the soil was too basic or too acidic? Too basic. Too basic. So is there anything you could amend or put under that tree to increase the... Yeah, you can, uh, you can add sulfur. So that's like the opposite of lime. So would you just top dress it under the tree? I mean, would um, that, could you put enough to make an effect yeah, on Yeah, so sulfur breaks down. There's a chemical reaction that turns into sulfuric acid, which is, acidifies the soil. Um, what I found works best, and, and we just decided not to fool with it. Um, yeah. But... I've had customers uh, dig little holes in the ground uh, in and around the drip line, and you you put sulfur, flowers of sulfur, you can buy it by the 50-pound bag in the ground. Mm -hmm. And that will leach out into the soil and change the pH directly around that little wad of sulfur, and the roots can get what they need, what is, you know, what's blocked and now released because the pH has changed. And, and the, and the uh, pH being so basic has nutrients locked up. Correct. Is that right? Gotcha, gotcha. And then if it's too acidic, are the nutrients locked up or it's just, just too free-flowing? It's, it's the same thing. It's just different nutrients. Often in the spectrum. Yeah, I got there's you. A, there's, a, there's a graph you can look at that's widely available online that, that shows you that relationship. Hmm. pH to nutrient availability. pH to nutrient availability. So we need to we need to Google that. So I've got some friends around Selma, and they're in that uh, black belt area where there's a lot of lime outcroppings, and some of their plots are uh, the pH is higher than eight, mm-hmm. and they've been putting sulfur on them, mm-hmm. and they said it does help, but it is a very very slow process to get yeah that, to do that. My theory on that is. Just grow something that is adapted to those yes, and soils. What, what they've found there's a there's a variety of alfalfa that likes really high pH, uh, and that's what. Mm-hmm. But they have to they can't get it to be uh, perennial. They have to plant it every year because okay. it's so hot and dry. Yeah, Toxie's got some eight two eight three out at the uh, well out here in the prairie at the right mm-hmm. place and whatnot. It, it it's happens. like cedars and you know. Osage orange and white Bodog. Yeah. Bodog. Not much likes it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You know, the, I just realized we don't have a close to that. We could have that. We need to get the, the come, same come guy. On, come on. <laughs> yeah. come and there with you a, have with it. With a wrap up. The there. guy yeah. has forgotten more than he can remember. <laughs> so, Art, I don't know if that helped you a lot, but that gave you a few scenarios to consider. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that's awesome. That was really good. So uh, what did people go to the website or social pages to submit questions? Jason McKellar figured this out, and he's got something on our website where they, I'm can, gonna go ask they can speak into, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to go ask. Go, go ask right, right now. Go ahead. Go ahead, because we can get Yeah, don't talk about me you while see I'm how gone. professional Don't talk about are. my shooting. <laughs> seven shots. The old seven shooter. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, the, but that's really interesting how soils are so different across. Because so there's you really doing a soil test on your own property 
it is so important to know exactly what needs to be done on your dirt, as opposed to just listening to this podcast and hearing us talk about adding two tons of lime, because you would not, if your soil is 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 8.0, you would not want to add any lime. Absolutely not. That would have a negative effect. Yeah. Yeah, so, oh, he's back. Did y'all miss me? Not really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, our buddy Jason McKellar, the digital whiz in there, uh, has pinned a post to the top of the Facebook page as an Ask Dudley button, and you can click on it uh, and uh, submit your questions right there. So Perfect. Send them on in. Those are awesome. We appreciate those that guys. Is, it's good to hear the guys speak. So thanks for both of those guys for sending in their questions. I, I love hearing those questions. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Those are good questions there. Yeah, they were good. So they're fun to answer too. Dudley, mm. what are you going to reward these guys with? Why don't we send them a little gamekeeper kit? Oh, that'd be great. So when they, they go to the Facebook page and they submit a question to ask Dudley, be sure to leave us your address, maybe? Leave your physical address. Physical and address. We'll send you a happy. Yeah, send you a gamekeeper gift pack. We appreciate everybody calling in and uh, diving into the mind of Mr. Phelps. Let's chat. So while we're here, uh, I'd like to start a new little segment uh, where we every week kind of explain to people something that uh, that they may not know about wildlife. WTF? <laughs> What's that forage? <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might have to think about that one. I don't, I don't know that was, that was one that. of our brainstorms. <laughs> that was that, a brainstorm. That's that, right. That we decided to definitely not use. Yeah, WTF. So what are we going to talk about? Some, well, I was going to Did you know some stuff? Well, I was going to say the first one here. Did you know that mm-hmm. quail, wild bobwhite quail, sleep in a circle? Sleep? In a circle with their heads pointed out, and then they just scrunch the covey scrunches together to stay warm all night long. So do 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 quail don't roost? They sleep on the ground. They they sleep on the ground. Oh, but okay. I, I still I probably would refer to it as roosting. But they actually sleep on the ground and they fly to where they're going to roost or set up in a circle. And then they in the morning when they wake up they fl- they fly as a group away from wherever they slept. So you think do they sleep or in the same place every night? I don't think they do. I think they they I think they move around. So you I think there's know. one like this like hey it's time to go to bed, <laughs> and then it, well yeah follow me. It's probably a probably a hen. Yeah, and she probably uh, picks a place. But I'm just fascinated that they sleep in a circle <clears> and. <throat> For safety. So they all get together and they start out with their, I guess, backs to each other. I think so. Facing out. And just scrunch tighter and tighter. Probably for to minimize predation, you know. Yes. And then and get closer together to get warmer. That's right. So I've actually, uh, you know, deer hunting in the the winter in the dark have stepped into or close enough to them that they've flushed and scare you to death in the dark. That is so scary, too. Yeah, that'll scare you. That's for sure. They're such a cool bird. So anyway, hopefully every week we can have some little. Yeah, yeah that's neat. I, I knew the part about the circle, but I'd never heard about how they're good at hiding their scent by flying instead of walking to their. Yeah, so there's no scent trail to wherever they're uh, going to roost. And then they fly to where they get the morning started, so there's no scent trail there. Gotcha. If somebody has a picture of that, send it in. That's That's really cool. So, since we're talking about roosting, would you consider something roosting something that flies up in a tree, or just a bird that sleeps? You know, that's a good question. When you when so 
when I think of a bird sleeping, I think that bird's on a roost. And I, and it probably does sound like he's in a tree, but quail definitely are on the ground. Well, look at there, Dudley. You I've got him. you a picture. Oh, that's cute. Isn't that good? Look at them. That is. And you know what I Googled? Quail roosting. Is that right? Yeah. Quail roosting. Well, I'm a big fan of bobwhite quail. They're, and they're so, they're, you know what? They're my favorite thing to eat. Uh, speaking of that, I love to eat them too. And if you don't get fortunate enough to be able to harvest some quail, which Bobby brings us some every now and then. We don't get invited hunting much, but he'll bring a couple frozen in a bag to us sometime. A couple? I'll bring a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want quail and you can't get access to them, we do have some available at the Gamekeeper Butchery site, which is... <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, Gamekeepermeats.com. Y'all go check it out. There's a... Wide variety of farm-raised wild game available. So a guy can order quail and have them shipped quail. right to his house. Right to his door. Wild game delivered. They are delicious. It's a white meat. Mm, it's good. And if you haven't had some, you need to try it. Yeah, we, uh, remember those uh, quail thighs that were at Vandy and Sarah Francis's wedding? Oh, man. Man, those things were good. Yeah, they were. Those were drumsticks. Oh, they weren't thighs. Well, they they were thighs. No, I would think no, it was a leg quarter. They, they were quarters. They, they were quarters. Maybe that's what they were. Yeah. They were but they quarters. were little bitty drums. But they, they fritched the end, the knee end. Mm-hmm. And so it just, yeah, you, you just, was able to just, like a lollipop. Like a little popper. Yeah, yeah, they were good. I probably ate 30, 40 quail eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. And too. you're a fan of pickled quail eggs, aren't you? Uh, you know what? I eat them. I have eaten them. It's a novelty I, for I, you. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of it. Yeah. They have a real different flavor to them. But I am a huge fan of grilling quail on the barbecue, uh, wrap them in bacon. You brine them or do you just? Wrap them in bacon and uh, soak them in Italian dressing. Italian. Italian dressing. Italian. Italian. What about Italian dressing? All right, look, we're putting everybody to sleep. So we've got to get Charles on the phone. So why don't we pay some bills, take a break. Jason, let's try one more time. Let's see if we can get Charles on the telephone when we come back. When we come back, the Prince of Poachers. When I first bought this farm a short time ago, every single field was growing up with brush eight and 10 feet high. But it went from that to this. And even though I planted Biologic with very little moisture in the ground, I was really amazed at the results. I just sat in this field with my wife as she shot her very first deer. We could not be happier. We made a memory that will last a lifetime. All because of the effectiveness of the best food plot seed on the market. Biologic is better seed, pure and simple. Log on to plantbiologic.com to learn more. Hey folks, it's Jeff Foxworthy. You know, when I was a kid, my dad bought back the farm that he had grown up on. And I absolutely loved that place. I knew every square inch of it. It truly was my favorite place on earth. And when you're looking to find a favorite place for you and your family, Mossy Oak Properties can help. Visit MossyOakProperties.com to begin your search today. Charles, can you hear us? I can finally hear you. Yeah. <laughs> In the house. Yeah, I'm at the post office. <laughs> hey, whatever works. Hey, thanks for taking the time and driving to town to talk to us. You bet. What is, what is the wind blowing in a certain direction out there or something and your cell phone doesn't work? It's windy and cloudy, which both of those are 
They work against me out where I live in some rolling rocky hills. But I get shut down on my signal real easy. Yesterday it was fine, but today's a different story. I can appreciate that, Mr. Charles. I live in the river bottom and uh, very, very rarely have a cell phone signal. It kind of works to my advantage from time to time, though. Especially when Bobby's, right. try, especially when Bobby's trying to track me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Charles, well, let me introduce you to everybody. We've got uh, Lanny Wallace. Hey, Mr. Charles. He's been uh, with Mossy Oak a long time. And we've got Dudley Phelps over here. The Dud. And uh, and I'm Bobby Cole. You and I, have, we, we have talked a couple of times in preparation of this. But uh, I ran across, uh, the, so our guest is Charles Beatty. And I, right. I ran across a, a a book that he's written that was very surprising and 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 I'll use the word shocking. I was you know he's basically admitting to having poached uh, the King Ranch and the Kennedy Ranch and some other places in Texas. And it, I was kind of surprised about this, but I I picked up the book. It's called The Prince of Poachers, and read through it. And and it, it's pretty quick to, to you you see really quick. Charles is fascinated by big antlers, mm-hmm. like, a, like a lot of people are. And I think it's probably <laughs> led him down some bad roads in, in his life. And so, uh, Charles, we wanted to ask you, uh, you know, we've got some questions. We wanted to kind of hear your story, hear a little bit about your life. But we also wanted to make sure that we ask some questions, hoping that you might could help our audience to be able to, I'm going to use the words poacher proof their property or know if their property is being poached just so we could help our audience uh, be aware of this. Yeah, I don't know how things are nationwide, but here in Texas, it's uh, upgraded to a felony now to do what I did and jump the fence and go on another place without consent of landowner to hunt. And so that has stopped, I would guess, in the high 90% bracket. I don't know what else to think. Anybody in their right mind here in Texas doesn't do it anymore. You know, these kids get caught every now and then, but, um, you know, boys will be boys. But I don't know state nationwide, state to state, if they're on that same level or if they just, you know, have like a Class A misdemeanor charge on it that's fairly severe. Um, here in Texas, you go to prison, first offense, minimum mandatory, six months in jail. And it's two to ten for known poachers, so-called headhunters that, you know, leave the meat, hunt miles deep, take out only the Cape Morns, small amount of meat possibly, but depending on weather. But um, they throw the book at them. They'd give me ten years if I got caught again because the deal I cut was to quit, you know, and I was ready to quit anyway. And getting caught just made the decision final. I'd done it for, a, you know, a span of 22 years. And, um, you know, there's a long story to that. It, it's ended for a spell of six years and, and then I returned. You know, I had been in church for six years and had a real rough divorce. Lost my son in a custody battle. And, um, of all people, some police officers that were customers in my taxidermy shop talked me into going back. One talked me into taking him first. The other one saw the, you know, five deer he killed and went crazy and just had to go too and I took him next back to back and they both shot really good deer ones in the mid 170s with a, a longbow and they had the hunt of a lifetime they they knew they would never do it again they just stuck their neck out once because all their money they spent and efforts on legal hunting had never panned out and they were disgruntled and 
they just, you know, took a chance once to dance. Hmm. And then they did it. And then for me, following a rough divorce like that, not doing it anymore for six years there, and then going back to it, it just lit a bonfire. I was bitter because of my divorce and losing my son to a lion ex-wife, and I went on a rampage. I mean, I brought out 75 deer versus the first 41 in the first seven years I posed, and I was dragging them out in roads and stuff. I was mad. I was angry. I was acting out of vendetta against the state of Texas for giving my ex-wife custody on her life. So, see, it's it's a deeper story than just the poaching. Yeah, and uh, like then it. when it when it came to an end, the game wardens had figured out and found out most nearly everything about me. They profiled me. They'd done a lot of investigation. They knew why I was doing what I was doing. And uh, did, so they were. How did you elude them for so long? What What was when I'm? It's a big place. It's heavy brush, and if you're good after being, you know, professional for years at it. Uh, they wouldn't have caught me when they did if they hadn't been tipped off. I got set up. A guy was on up on revocation of probation, fixed to go back to prison. And he set me up. He took me across the bay in a boat, kicked me out on the shore. And they knew he was going to do it before he caught me and letting him take me. And so then they put up a search. They had nine men spread out a mile apart, on, you know, till they finally picked up tracks. The last one to the farthest east picked up my trail. Then they start leapfrogging, sending a man out two or three miles ahead of you, trying to run into your trail there. And once they establish a direction, they're able to close in pretty quick. But, you know, they followed me 17 miles that third day of that hunt before they caught up with me. You know, that's one of the things that, that struck me with your stories is how much ground you would cover. Yeah, I was just and, shocked by that. That's 17 well, that's miles. How I got clip. away with it. Yeah, that's how I got away with it so long. I never stayed in one place too long. If I popped a shot and killed a deer, I'd be four or five miles away real quick. We, well, there's so much more ground out there with, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the King Ranch is the size of Rhode Island, I think. It's huge. Yeah, it's still up close to a million acres. Wow. But, you know, I didn't hunt that primarily. I started out hunting the King Ranch. I had a close call. And I got pinned down in a pile of cactus and, you know, cattle roundup going on. And that shook me. I got out of that. I said, I'm going to have to find a better place to do this. You know, I was already addicted <laughs> to rattling them big deer up. So I, I bumped into a man at the taxidermy shop. I worked it down there, and he owned a, a half a section of land in the middle of the Kennedy Ranch. Well, he took me to trade some taxidermy, and, you know, once I saw the inside scoop on that, I hunted the whole county from there, from there, and from the highway both. You know, it didn't matter to me. If he wasn't available to take me in and out of there, I'd go without him. And, you know, he just couldn't wait to see what I killed. He was as hooked on it as I was. Hmm. Wow. Well, well, I mean, it's an addiction. <laughs> yeah, nah, I can understand that. Well, so, Charles, around here, we always suspicion during the spring turkey season that guys are getting dropped off and picked back up later and walking and turkey hunting on places. And uh, is there, in, in trying to understand the the mind of a guy who's uh, poaching a property, is there, are there things that you would look for to know that, hey, this property would be a good one I could poach on, or this one I need to stay away from? Or are there are there telltale signs that you would look for? Well, you know, safety came in the fact also that when I was doing all that originally, they didn't even have hunts available. It was invitation only. So 
you know, I had it all to myself, basically. So I was safe in that regard. But as they began to open up the King Ranch, Kennedy Ranch, and sell hunts, then, you know, I had to have maps to know which pastures were and weren't being hunted. And I knew them well. And so I just hunted the remaining unhunted part. I know a lot of people study top all maps. They'll pick a ranch, pick a county, pick the biggest ranch they know is there, and they'll hit the largest ones there, you know, where the big deer are, and that way the odds are in their favor to get away with it. None of my class of outlaw hunter hunted leases. We didn't hunt people's feeders and stands and, you know, walk through there even at night and spotlight their deer off their food plots or something. We didn't hunt like that. We hunted strictly unhunted, you know, large ranches. Yeah. You know, I don't know about the, the unlearned guy, but, you know, I got the inside scoop on a number of big ranches down in deep South Texas because they're there. They're, they're not everywhere, but they are down there. There's still big property down there that's, that's not hunted. And, and did I catch you say that you were rattling, you know, it's a calling deer more than anything? Yeah, absolutely addicted to yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, when you, Yeah, when you beat the horns and you get sometimes seven or eight bucks, I don't know how many times I rattle up eight bucks in one rattle. And, you know, finally rattled up eight game wardens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that was thrilling, but, you know, not near as interesting. I don't have their heads on the wall to remember the height. <laughs> there you go. You think it was, uh, you know, your fascination with the white-tailed deer or the fascination with getting away with it? Uh, you know, half the thrill was, you know, the poaching factor, you know, doing something against the law. It was real fun when they would know you were there and hot pursuit would take place. Helicopters and vehicles would swarm it, horseback riders, and they'd come after me. And I'd laugh because usually I'd have a jump on them and I'd already be three or four or five miles away running wide open to get some distance on them. And they'd still be down there just cutting, mowing the brush down with them helicopters where I was, not where I was at, but where I, where they had figured out I was in there at. And I'd laugh. You know, it was funny. And we got a big kick out of it. But that wasn't why we were there. We didn't go in there to aggravate them and piss them off. We, we went in there for the big deer. There's no two alike. And that ranch is full of non-typical deer. And they're all, you know, unique, just outstanding in their, you know, rag designs. It, it's no telling what you'll see on every rattle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're just in constant suspense. You don't know if you're going to see a 180 or a 230. You, you don't know. Wow. What did you, can happen. What did you do with all the antlers if you couldn't really show them off? Well, my, my story's long. What yeah. happens when I... And when I quit and started going to church, I turned in 18 of the first 41 that me and my friends took and uh, wiped the slate clean, never intended to go back again. Then when I went back, you know, like I said, it was another 75 big deer that we brought out of their total over a period of nine years. But, you know, the state still got, you know, those heads I turned in. I mean, at one time they were in the uh, Hall of Shame down in the, the hill country, I think they've been moved to East Texas to the fish hatchery, but they were at the uh, academy for a number of years. But um, it's just such a long story, you know, some here, some there, some everywhere. I've, I've still got a number of heads from that last nine years scattered all over. But just I've let friends hang on to them just to look at them and enjoy them. And, and uh, you were taxidermy 
taxidermist too? Yeah, yeah. I've been a taxidermist since I was thirteen years old. Wow. Yeah, I can understand your fascination. I'm sixty-four now, so I've I've been around deer and you know trophy hunting for fifty years. Yeah. That probably I've, I don't think I've ever met a taxidermist that wasn't a big big hunter that that was really for some reason. Hunter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I the get game, it. the game warden said most poachers are taxidermists. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> That's interesting. That's a good well, note. <laughs> so they, yeah, they collect data, and you yeah. know. So Charles, in the community where you live, when when this uh, book came out, how did the local people that have been trying to catch you for all these years how did how did they receive this? I don't live down there anymore, and it doesn't matter. I'm not running for public office, you know, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was hated then. I'm hated now. But, you know, curiosity killed the cat. You know, people know how I did it, how I got along, away with it for so long. And it's a fascinating story. And so I'm finding out more and more that there's just having to be one over to the fact that this was all 22 to 44 years ago. It's a blast from the past. This has nothing to do with your lease last night, last year, ever. You know, it's, I never did that kind of hunting to start with. They're starting to figure out the essence of the story is completely different than what they thought. For example, a lot of people think I was nothing but a spotlighter. Less than 2% of what I did involved a spotlight. You know, it was just not the way I hunted. Mm. You know, I, I pulled a drunk a time or two, did some spotlighting, and we cut a lock and drove in once. But, Spotlighting was not the name of my game. You preferred the wasn't. challenge of the hunt. Yeah, the challenge yeah. of the hunt. Well, it, you, if you kill one spotlighting, even rattling him up at night on foot and shooting him, you rob yourself and the deer both of your dignity in it. You know, no, no pride, no lasting memory. You know, you got him. You're not nearly as proud of him as you would be when you rattle up in broad daylight. Mm, that's interesting. It's interesting, too, that you said that um, – um, you didn't spend time on people's leases and, and people's food plots and people's stands. You were looking for those vast uh, acreages of land uh, that were invite only. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. The, the King Ranch was not available for any amount of money to anybody. The first seven years I hunted down there, it was an invitation deal only. If you didn't have gas and all, you know, dealings with them or cattle or agriculture there was always a family connection or nothing you didn't get to hunt there for a a certain amount of money you couldn't pay to get home and hunt there then Hmm. it wasn't until 1984 a year after i quit posting was going to church that the kennedy ranch was opened up any at all and they opened up eighty thousand acres of the four hundred and forty thousand. there was i think there was five or seven pastures and I knew most of them, you know, and I killed some of my biggest deer there. I had an opportunity and invite to go and guide on those pastures to get the guys, you know, big deer that were going to get to pay to hunt there for about 2500 a gun. And it fell through after a man in Dallas found out about it. And he used us for the information that he went down and released it out from under us. And so, you know, that just didn't work out. Wasn't meant to be, I guess. But, uh, you know. Life happens, you know, people yeah. are, are that way. That, that's one of the things I didn't struggle with as a poacher. I didn't have anybody cutting my throat, stabbing me in the back to take away my chance at some spot that I'd pick to go hunt. And then it was back to reality when I tried to do it legal. Here you are with everybody cutting everybody's throat. You know, they didn't care who they stabbed in the back, whose throat they cut, get to be the one to get the good lease. 
Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of money. If they had more money than you, they got it. You didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, in today's world with GPS and phones and texting and uh, Spartan cameras, yeah, and Onyx <laughs> maps. Uh, I mean, it, there's so much that a that a access or knowledge a guy can have over his phone yeah. and being able to communicate with the drop off person. Uh, I remember some of Charles's stories that he would have to if he didn't meet somebody this day, he they'd wait 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine laying out in the weeds for 24 with all the ticks in South Texas. <laughs> One of the things that you've mentioned here, I didn't realize, and I'm glad to hear that there, you, you were mentioning that some of the things that you were doing now are considered uh, felonies. I'm not sure how that plays into Mississippi and Alabama where we are, but um, I would think that they would follow suit. But uh, it, it, it's interesting to, to, to know now that maybe the, the, uh, the punishment for some of this stuff may have increased enough that it would deter people. Yeah, I don't think it's that way in Mississippi and Alabama. No. I think you get yeah. a trespassing ticket, you know, because uh-huh. I used to hear some people say, I mean, a trespassing ticket's $125. That's cheaper than hunting, any hunting club I could ever join. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what may have got this started out in Texas with all those high fence and those big deer that they're breeding and they have a value associated with those, yeah. uh, those guys have probably banded together and made it yeah, more, lobby. more painful. That's true. So, Charles, if, if uh, when I communicated to you about being on, one of the things I, I, I think I mentioned to you then was about trying to help our guys poacher-proof a property. Can you think of, is there some things that you could share with us, maybe two or three things that a guy could do that would help him to poacher-proof his property? If you have someone living there listening for shots, that's the first tip I'd give them. If you're uh, just say you're like an out of state landowner, it would it seems like it'd make a lot of sense to have a local yeah, that, that you, you can trust, you know, and maybe let them fish uh, in exchange for them checking your roads for tracks or something. Or even like let that. them hunt, you know, heck. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they say, Bobby, yeah. if somebody if you're not hunting your turkeys, somebody's hunting your turkeys. <laughs> what I've always heard. <laughs> Exactly. Well, the cameras are being set up everywhere, and they're seeing a lot of walk-in hunters. And I don't know that they catch them all, but they kept they caught some of them. You know, they figure out who some of them are. Yeah, you know, that's some really interesting technology now. These like Spartan cell cameras, and I, several companies have those. But um, I mean, we have one, and and within a few minutes, all yeah. three of us have one. Within a few minutes, you get a picture. Yeah, you yeah. you know. Up until a few years ago, a poacher could just take the memory card out or trash the camera or something. But now, if they walk by it, that photo is already in the airwaves going to the landowner. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, I tell exactly. you, what we've heard around here, too, is people using infrared to see the infrared on the camera. So they're using infrared to look and find the camera before they even get there. It's kind of interesting. Okay. So then, and then they can shine a light up. Oh. Sorry about that. It's My probably phone impossible. Yeah, it's probably impossible to guard against 100%, but if you can stop half of it. You know, I've got friends that own land that have killed big deer on their property, and the best thing they do is don't tell anybody where it's at. You, you can't you tell them what county. You can't even tell them what county it came from because that law starts zeroing in on where these monster deer are coming from, and you sooner or later the word gets out, and you know, they'll figure out where it's at. So you just got to keep your mouth shut. 
That's, yeah, a, that, that's good advice. Very right good there. advice. Yep, yep. Is there anything uh, that you want to add? Uh, we, we appreciate you being on here and being candid and being honest, but I just want to make sure, is there anything that, that we didn't touch that you wanted to, that you need to touch? Well, what's coming in part two is my testimony. I'm a third-generation preacher's son, and, you know, I was a prodigal son as bad as one gets. But I've got a testimony coming for God that's going to blow this whole nation away. I've been through some experiences, spiritual experiences that are unbelievable. I mean, supernatural. And, you know, I understand now why I went through that, because God knew I was going to have this platform big enough to tell it. And that's what's coming in part two. Everyone's going to be shocked. They're not going to, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. This is only my microphone to get my testimony out to a great many people. It's not just a poaching book. In fact, I'd say the other out, what the latter outweighs the, the beginning completely. Yeah, I would hope so. I would hope so. That's it, well, your your story is it is fascinating. Well, I can't wait to hear your testimony, honestly. Yeah, we we wanted that was kind of one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you. We you know had some reservations at first, but gosh, we believe in forgiveness and uh 100%. So that, We've all messed up. Yep. I know Bobby has. <laughs> so, <laughs> no doubt. We've all fallen short. <laughs> Charles and these guys will remind me yeah, when, when right. I fall short around here pretty regularly. Well, it's, it's great to hear that uh, that that you 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 found uh, what you're looking for. That's exactly that's the best way I can put it. Yeah, that's a good way to well, put it, Lanny. We we, we wish yep. you we wish we do wish you the best. Now, if a guy wanted to buy your book, where, how does it on Facebook or how does it get information? Yeah, just go to my website online. It's www.princeofpoachers.com. I'm very yeah. encouraged to hear that, that uh, the story of part two. That makes me feel better about everything. So, but Charles, we we uh, thank you for all the trouble. That, uh, I know trying to, but I think we made you, <laughs> made you drive around to find a cell phone. Yeah, we call, appreciate your efforts. That's we, for sure. We do appreciate I, need, that. I needed some things here in town anyway. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Thanks Charles. Charles. See you, buddy. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Let that disconnect there. There we go. Boy, that was something else now. Yeah, it, it really is intriguing to me, you know. I mean, I can, you know, I, I hate to say I can understand, you know, because, uh, you know, fascination with deer my whole life, you know, and he talked about it like an addiction. I mean, you can tell that, you know, even at an early age with taxidermy work and building bows, he was fascinated with wildlife, and it sounds like he thought he was shortchanged. Mm-hmm. You know, he really did. There's some um, issues there. Yeah, but it sounds like he's turned it overall into a very positive um, thing with what he's going to do with his testimony. Uh, and apparently he's turned his life around. So, hey. We're trying. Can't, yeah. Everybody's messed up. You can't knock anybody for that. Nope. Interesting. No, you're so right, how'd you man. find out about him? So uh, I think if my memory serves me correctly, I saw something on Facebook about the book. Yeah. And I uh, direct messaged him and got a book. DM'd him. Hit him up on the DM. Yep. It's... You know, what, so much of what we do with gamekeepers is as we try to improve properties and grow bigger deer, have more turkeys, have ducks and everything, it's it, it, it's kind of inherent that you you tell your buddies about it. You mm-hmm. kind of brag about it a little bit. And so there's I've, – I've, you just always wonder, is 
you know, while, while you're going to the shot show, what's going on at your place? Hey, you know, my biggest piece of, I hunt a lot of public land, you know, my, my biggest piece of advice to anybody who wants to hunt land is shut up. Don't talk about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Because, you know, there are pros, you know, people that know places can ask you a matter of two to three questions. And like he was talking about, zone in on exactly where you are. I mean, even like I was sitting by the old river run or, you know, by this and they can, they can, um, people are smart, you know, they really are. And if they're, uh, I've, dedicated been, I've been told that sometimes like on Facebook, if you post a picture, somebody can click on that picture and there are ways to figure out where yeah. that was taken. Yeah. GPS coordinates, maybe. Yeah. I'm not smart enough to know how to do that. Yeah. But is there some setting on your phone that you turn off? I don't, you know, I don't know because I don't, I don't post anything. <laughs> I'm not going to. Uh, and that's even, I think, not only for public land, but private land too, um, you know, and, and maybe that's a selfish act, you know. But, I, you know, to me, um, to, you know, I'm not knocking anybody that, you know, posts a bunch of stuff on social media. But, you know, it's the, the thrill I get from hunting you know, is so personal and, and so close. I almost feel like, um, I feel like I don't want to brag about it is the best way to put it. Yeah. And and another thing, you know, we work really hard to get what we get That's in right. the woods. And I, I don't think of it as selfish. I just think of it as protecting what you've worked hard for so yeah. you can share it with your friends. That's right. That's right. Right. It's it's never fun to drive up to one of your gates and see blood, no. you know, near the gate Feathers, where somebody no. had shot through your gate and dragged the deer to the road and drove off. Yeah, and and we work so dadgum hard on it, you know. Um, and it is, you know, it is a resource and it's a valuable thing. But very interesting conversation to me. It was. I didn't know how I would feel at the end of this. I knew we were talking about a sensitive subject that would could potentially rub people the wrong way. And I mean, there were certain things that were said, and I, I kind of cringed. But hearing him come full circle with yeah, it, yeah, there, there's something about that. That hey, uh, look, everybody's path to to you know is is a little bit different in life. That is right. You know, and I don't. I I would. I don't think. There's nobody that's been perfect. Well, there's one, you know, in this world, I guess is the best way to put it. So, you know, and, and then uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier, all sins are the same, you know, in the in the eyes of, of the big man. So, true. you know, who are you to judge? Yep. Yep. Lenny, you're very wise. I don't know about that. I'm just hoping our listeners will understand what our intentions were yeah. with this show. It, it totally took a right turn it, for me, honestly, you know, with him saying that in the end, uh, you know, I—, I I have a better understanding of what he was, you know, what his story was mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, it would. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate everybody being in here. Lanny, you got anything else to add? Uh, now I'm going to work on my buzzloading shooting skills. Yeah. You know, play, I know y'all talked some, talked a little smack about me when I was gone, but that's all good. You know, uh, hey, Dudley, you got I, I, would, I don't know if y'all did, but I would expect you to, and I would definitely said something about y'all if y'all walked oh, out yeah. of the room. So. Yeah, we did. We did. So, uh, Dudley, you got anything? No, uh, looking forward to the weekend. I, I think I'm going to get my first sit in a tree this weekend woo, woo. If, if I can get my spots planted. So, so yeah, you're going to hunt and then plant? I'm going to hunt, plant, and hunt. There you That's go. That's my plan. So is your emphasis more on planting or hunting? 
Well, you got to get everything planted, but yeah, I'm going to hunt, and it might mess up my planting. But yeah, there's going to be a cool snap coming through. I got a lot of work to do. Yeah. All right. Well, we've kept everybody a long time. I hope we hadn't put them to sleep, and I hope you all enjoyed this show and understood our intentions of, of what we were trying to do. And, you know, uh, Mr. Charles was pretty honest there. Yeah, he I mean, really hey. Was. He, laid, right, it, he laid it all out there. So. Yep. All right. Well, we'll uh, – we'll, Get us out of here, Clay. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.